Welcome to the Sunday Morning Linux Review with Tony Bemis and Matt Enders. This is Episode 9 for the week of December 11th, 2011. Second week of December, Christmas shopping on the way? Yeah, I don't do any Christmas shopping. No? Oh, you did it all on Black Friday? No, I don't do any Christmas shopping. Oh? (laughs) (laughs) I I, I don't even buy my wife a present. I say, you know where the bank card is. Go get yourself something. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't do any Christmas shopping. She's the only person not yeah. that I have to shop for. Uh, and oh, then, your wife? No, I will get her something, but she's the only one. Uh, yeah. My wife absolutely buys for everybody else, which is Same. which is the purpose of having a wife, isn't it? <laughs> okay, all you girls out there, please, no hate mail. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Kim loves doing it. If if she tried to have me do any of it, then she would freak out. And yeah, Because my, my wife is so into the deal. She's She like... She she gets practically orgasmic saving 15 cents on something. It's crazy. It's just crazy. <laughs> That's funny. But I did read something, and I, I told her it, but I don't think she really heard it. I read this thing last last week that says if you work more than nine minutes to save a dollar, you have worked for less than minimum wage. Wow. <laughs> so. But what does that say when you have more time than uh, money? Hmm. I don't know. No, I, I agree with what you're saying, and when it comes to I'm just like, not a shopper. I, I'm not a shopper. Yeah. When I need something, I go to a store and I buy it. I don't go to five stores and look at prices. No, I go to. I, I, I am like the retailer's wet dream. <laughs> I need something. I walk into a store and I say, "How much is it?" Here's the cash. <laughs> right. So, Matt, what's happening with the colonel? Hey, thanks, Mike. And in the kernel release news this week, the latest RC release is 3.2-RC5. It was released on Friday, 12.9 at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It has been slightly over a week since the last RC release, and RC5 is bigger in number of commits. Many of the commits are small, so it is possible that the diff will be smaller than both RC2 and RC4 were. A big part of this release is that Ingo is back, and had a backlog. That isn't enough to explain it all. There were XFS and ButterFS changes, along with network updates, and the usual 50% of random driver updates. Greg KH announced the release of the 2.6.32.50, the 3.0.13, and the 3.1.5 stable kernels on 12.9. The 2.6.32.50 kernel had 27 file changes, 164 insertions, and 54 deletions. The 3.0.13 kernel had 93 files changed, 659 insertions, and 201 deletions. And now get ready for the 3.1.5 kernel because it had 135 file changes, 1,170 insertions, and 471 deletions. No small changes there. Holy cow. (laughs) (laughs) And now for our kernel quote of the week. Hey, Linus, stop working on subsurface, the scuba diving log that doesn't suck during the week, 
so you can get the latest RC out before 6 p.m. Eastern Time, so it's easier for me to do these updates. Insert appropriate smiley here. Matt Enders. <laughs> <laughs> so he's out scuba diving and celebrating no, for you. He's got this new project. It's called Subsurface. It's a scuba diving logging program because he's a big scuba diver. Oh, right. and, and he released an update for that on Wednesday. Okay. <laughs> so knock it off during the week with the subsurface stuff and stick with the kernel. Do subsurface on the weekends. <laughs> right. So what does it do? Like keep track of where you dive I'm not at? A, I'm not a scuba diver. I've read peripherally about it. You do stuff like log your dives, and then it logs how deep your dive was, how much air you used, your rate of air use. Oh, wow. I guess this kind of stuff divers would be interested in. Yeah, that would be good. Cool. Well, the kernel is just... Plugging along, plugging along. Just like you would expect the kernel to be. Yeah, I have a hard time getting in the kernel because it's hard enough for me just to understand what it does. I mean, I understand there's mods and the kernel does things and it needs support for devices, but that's the extent of what I know. (laughs) Because I'm not a programmer. Tony... What's going on with the Linux distributions this week? Uh, thanks, Mike. Yeah, we have, from DistroWatch, we have quite a few releases this week. Um, we have Ubuntu Privacy Remix came out. Uh, that looks interesting. I wonder if that's uh, something related to uh, the other. I wonder if, does it, do you know, did you look into this at all? Does it have Ubuntu the Privacy. Tour? I'm looking right now at the DistroWatch website. It's oh, there I see it. It's a system to protect oh, yeah, 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 spying yeah. and data theft, apart from others. No, I have not looked into that at all. I have no idea about it at all. I didn't even know it existed until five seconds ago when you said uh, Ubuntu Privacy Remix. <laughs> oh, yeah. It says it includes the usage over Tor, kind of like how Tail does. Um, so, yeah, it looks like Tail, but on Ubuntu. I have no idea what Tail is either. It's uh don't tell me we talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> we did. <laughs> it's a privacy really uh live CD. So you boot your computer off of that and then it gives you like total anonymity. Anonymity? Is that the word you're going for there, buddy? Yes. and it goes everything through the Tor network. Your browsing, your email, your so they don't know you're in and out of the the Tor network and where you're coming from, and so ideally it's total, you know, anonymous. But like we said, there's always ways to track. If you can get inside the Tor network, you can track it. Um. Anyways, the next one we have is Turnkey Linux. This is used a lot with uh, the VPS or uh, systems, you know, like uh, virtual private networks. Or not network systems, virtual privates. Or, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so, like yeah. Like I have a I have a website that's that I have hosted on a VPS. Right. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I, they specifically have their images up on the Amazon EC2 system. What Turnkey does? Turnkey does. Yeah. So when I was looking at setting up a Amazon instance, I saw a lot of their Turnkey ones, but I was I'd never heard of them at the time, so I was kind of leery on how much. And basically what it is is they have a different image for every application that you want to run. Uh, so they have an image with just WordPress already set up and running. All you have to do is plug in your, your stuff and go. They have one, you know, for a mail server and, and all sorts of things. And there's a ton of them. 
So it's it's really ideal for somebody who wants to set up a server and doesn't know a whole lot about just getting it working. You know, they just want it to work and plug their stuff in and go, and it's fast. So you don't have to spend the time trying to install updates, install the the programs, you know, Apache, the LAMP stack, then WordPress, and then get going. It's all ready to go. Wow. That sounds pretty cool because, like, the VPS that, that I bought, well, A, it was very cheap and cheap. But it, when they did the install on it and fired it up for me, I logged into it, and it was like Debian, a release back. So I had to change all my sort, all the sources in it, and then upgrade to the latest Debian, and then I had to install the LAMP stack, and so yeah, that might be a good way to go. Wow, yeah. Because I mean, it took me probably three hours after the the VPS was up and running, and I could log into it to actually get a web server running on it. <laughs> oh wow, yeah. I think they they both something like fifteen minutes from you know choosing your turnkey. Um, image off of the Amazon thing till when the website's running. Wow. It's something really fast like That's that. That's pretty quick. Yeah, and then uh, we have Ultimate, you, the Ultimate Edition, which is uh, Linux Mint distribution. Now, yeah, the, this cracks me up. It's Linux Mint based, okay? Now, Linux Mint is based on Ubuntu, which is uh, based on Debian. So aren't, aren't we getting a little far from, like, the original... What's going on there? I mean, yeah. that's a, that's an awfully long upstream for a distribution. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it sure is. Uh, it's saying that it's based off of Mint 11, which is based off of Ubuntu 11.4. So it's, uh, it's a little bit behind, but still, Ultimate, it's a cool name. And then Red Hat, they have a release 6.1, or 6.2. Uh, and, you know, it's Red Hat. They have the company behind it, running it. And There's really not much more to say there than it's Red Hat. Yeah. Uh, KLOS 11111. Uh, which was, which was released on 121011, so we don't know where they got the 111111 from. Exactly. Uh, although it has a GUI installer now. <laughs> wow, that brand new GUI installer thing that every other distribution except Debian has had for multiple, multiple years. But Debian also now has had it for multiple years. So, Yeah. Well, this is interesting. As uh, It says a hassle-free automatic installation. Pre-installed Apache, MySQL, PHP MyAdmin, and Bluefish. Well, yeah, Bluefish is an HTML editor. I use it a lot, actually. It works really well. Sweet. And uh, so, yeah, that looks like they're trying to be some type of a web server out of the box. But then if you read on, they've also got Firefox and LibreOffice and... You know, I bet maybe. and TweetDeck and GNU Cache. So, are they trying to be a are they trying to be a web server or are they trying to be a desktop? Or well, what are they trying to be there? Maybe it's a like a distribu- or a developer a web developer's desktop. Ah, so it already has Apache running. All they have to do is plug the files in and go. Ah, yes, that makes sexual sense now. I I was trying to figure that out. I didn't get web developer desktop. Yeah, but yeah, that would work out of the box pretty well as a web developer desktop. Never mind. Sorry, Kale guys. <laughs> And then Simplice. Is that how we, or Sim, yeah, Plice. Simplice, but didn't you miss one? Mm, I don't think I did. Did you miss CentOS? Oh, I did skip over there. <laughs> CentOS 6.1? <laughs> yeah, it cracks me up. CentOS, four days after Debian, has, I mean, four days after uh, Red Hat has released 6.2, 
the CentOS team is right on top of it and releases 6.1. <laughs> <laughs> They're lagging behind there. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Wow. Anyway, so that's interesting. Uh, CentOS is a, it's a good system, though, and uh, being a community-based releases instead of... And it's of a development like a release, but that's okay. Oh, CentOS? No, Semplice. Semplice. What did I say? You said it was a regular release. Let's... Uh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to cut all that out. <laughs> I don't know how you're going to work that out. but No, I don't know. Maybe we'll just leave it in for, for <clears throat> S&G. <laughs> the Distro of the Week, according to Distro Watch, calculated by website hits per day. All right, so... Just before we talk about who's where, I had a little clarification, and apparently Matt knew this, but their hits per day is calculated on the DistroWatch's page, not the actual distribution's page. So right, this, because how would DistroWatch know the hits per day on the distribution's page? They, right. They can't. I thought, I thought they, maybe they were getting some kind of you know, <laughs> the stats from the distribution. Oh, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and Ubuntu's not, not going to inflate theirs to never be not number one. <laughs> so no, no, it's 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 only based on the ones they can actually count, which are the hits per day of their page of the of their page. All right. So, but the, if you're if if you're going to DistroWatch first, and then saying, oh wow, let me check out CentOS or whatever, then you you would want you would land on the 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 DistroWatch webpage for CentOS, mm-hmm. and then you would say, well, wait a minute, this isn't CentOS, <laughs> right. and then but there's a link on that page to CentOS. Yeah. So I, I, it's almost a guarantee that anybody clicking to the DistroWatch webpage is then clicking through to the actual distributions webpage. Sure. Would be my guess. Yeah. So number five this week is Debian with 1367 hits. Uh, Fedora has the number four spot with 1427. Uh, Ultimate with the new release of se- with hits of 1744 or 42. Uh, Ubuntu with number two at 1977, and Matt. And then at number one, we've got that minty goodness with the blow-away number of 4115. Holy cow. And uh, that's all I have for distros this week. We had a lot of releases, uh, but interesting ones. Sure. Turnkey is pretty cool. And Yeah, that's, uh, I'm going to have to check that turnkey out. That's pretty yeah, no, Sweet, 15 uh, minutes to a website instead of three hours just to get freaking Apache running. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So I don't know if they have that their those images on your uh, no, they don't. Your service. No. But I, I no. definitely do know they're on the Amazon EC2. But service. I'll have to look at that Amazon EC2. I mean, I, from what I understand, it's actually getting more affordable. So. Yeah, well, it's they have the free version you know, where you can use it for a year, and it's like 768K RAM, or mega RAM. Uh, with uh, no hard drive space, so you're going to have to pay whatever for hard drive space, or maybe up to 15 gigs of space, and then um, or 10 gigs, something like that, with a single-core CPU. And then if you need it to crank it up for specific times, it's like that's what we use for the MD log yeah. on the weekends. Crank it up, and then and that doesn't cost that much to crank it up for just a brief period of time. No, for five hours, it was it's like two and a half dollars. I don't know. We were looking at it, and last month, last week, or something, Amazon charged us five dollars and thirty-five cents. Yeah, last month. So is that what Mike? Reported? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. there's a problem with the club's credit card; it's coming out of the wrong account. 
That's why we were looking. What? Yeah. We, <laughs> they said oh, it was. Oh, man. It, it, this really doesn't belong in the show, so. Yeah. So that's what we have for Distro News. It's time for the Tech News of the Week. All right. Hey, thanks for that. Now we have jQuery tells the real story about the plugin site or why you should have a backup more recent than a year old. jQuery plugin site developers have finally told the real story in a blog posting. The plugin site went down about a week ago with just this message. The plugin site is currently unavailable. We've been looking to provide a higher quality, spam-free experience at the plugin site for some time, and we have decided to temporarily shutter the existing site. We will be providing more details on the new plugin site soon so that plugin authors can hit the ground running with our new submission process. Well, what really happened was an attempt to clean up the spam using Drupal View's bulk operations. All of the plugins were deleted. Oh, no. <laughs> and the only backup was a year old. No way. Yes. Oh, <laughs> what geez. do we learn from this? We learn backup more recent than a year and keep it somewhere. Yes, often. Yes. Backup. The developers asked for forgiveness and some help in developing a completely new plugin site. The plugin site <sighs> needed renovations for quite some time <laughs> due to the spam issue and because of how plugins were managed through the CMS that was cluttered and awkward. They were planning on replacing the site when events caused an immediate need. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah, they'd already been planning on, on replacing the site, but then... They kind of really screwed up and had to replace it right away. <laughs> How can you run a server and not run backups? I don't know. Yeah, and when I say events, I mean the accidental deletion and lack of a backup that was the impetus to move to those plans into action. <laughs> oh, the jQuery plugin developers should cre- no J. This is this is what the the developers are the website guys are saying to the jQuery plugin developers is that you should create a GitHub presence even if you just mirror your existing source code management. And then the new site that's being developed on GitHub, it's going to be at github.com slash jQuery slash plugins.jQuery.com. And there is currently no date for its launch. <laughs> nice. Now, on to, on to a bit of nastiness in the uh, open source stuff that's going on out there. Download.com was accused of wrapping Nmap in a Trojan installer. Ooh. Nmap author says CBS Interactive and CNUTSDownload.com are wrapping the open source application in a proprietary installer. In the past, they have never altered the application downloads they serve up. They have been changing that over the last six months. Gordon, Fyodor Lion, Fyodor is his online handle, lays out his issues in a posting to the Nmap hackers mailing list. He claims the installer does things like install the Start Now toolbar, makes Bing the default search engine, and sets the user's homepage to MSN. Obviously, this is for the Microsoft Nmap download. Right. So, because if you're running Linux, it's in your repositories, and it would just be an app to get install Nmap away. Yeah. Well, I wonder what they're they're, they're bending to the pressures of their yeah, sponsors. This, let, well, let's 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 read on for for what else is. Uh-huh. So, this is how a Trojan installer function. If the installer is separated from the download and sent the virus total, it shows that 10 of the 42 scanners they run it against identify it as a Trojan or Adware installer. Jeez. Also, the Nmap trademark is displayed next to offers to install software, as if the Nmap organization supports these products. 
Oh. As Nmap is not under the plain GPL, but under an enhanced version that specifically prohibits aggregation into a proprietary executable installer. Download.com initially claimed its scheme is simple for developers to opt out of. The opt out is not automatic, though. Download.com says all opt out requests are carefully reviewed on a case by case basis. <laughs> apparently, apparently not. Yeah. Lion is looking for a U.S. copyright attorney and wants to get the word out to hundreds of users who use Download.com every week to download Nmap. Mm. CBS's Download.com site has been called out for this type of behavior before. In August, Extreme Tech claimed similar behavior with the media player VLC. According to an FAQ from CBS, this installer software was rolled out in July. Well, after the fecal matter hit the fan on this, Download.com <laughs> backpedaled in a big way. In a statement, Sean Murphy, the vice president and general manager of Download.com, said, The bundling of this software was a mistake on our part, and we apologize to the user and developer communities for the unrest it caused. Then adding that they had reviewed all open source files in our catalog to ensure none are being bundled. Lion posted an update stating that Microsoft had been in contact with him and claimed they didn't know they were sponsoring CNET to Trojan open source software. Microsoft also stated that they had stopped the practice, which seems a little odd since they said they were unaware that it was happening in the first place. Exactly. <laughs> so now the download.com installer changed to install the Babylon toolbar, which did different search engine redirection. <laughs> oh, no. And then CNET later removed that and is now installing its own tech tracker tool for, uploading, for updating downloaded software. However, they are also restoring the direct download link which allows users to download files without having to download the download manager. Who knows if these changes will quell the controversy? The changes only affect open source software, and the proprietary freeware and trial software on download.com will still have the download.com installer packaging. Hmm. A number of open, open source programs at download.com still had an installer wrapping them. There has been no general apology for bundling GPL software with closed source installers. From download.com. So, yeah, a bit of nastiness from download. And I used to use download.com all the time, and I'll yeah. never I'll never get anything from them again now. No, nah, and uh, me neither. I, I used it sparingly in the past, not because I had something against them. It's just I, there wasn't much on it that I actually needed. Right. But uh, this definitely makes me not want to yeah. do it. Yeah, I'm never going to go near download.com again, and I would... Uh, I've always been leery of those installers that say, now install this. Well, and I, I, I haven't used it for a while. And because and when I always used to use it, that that in download manager was always an option. But yeah. I would never use it. I'm like, I don't need a download manager. I can manage my own downloads. Give me a break. And so I would just always click on the direct download link, you mm -hmm. know. And I, I, had I didn't even realize they'd taken that away. That's how long I'd, it'd been since I'd been there. Oh, yeah. I, I had to use uh, Driver's Guide this week for that other operating system. <laughs> and uh, they, they're doing the same thing now. They're wrapping all the drivers in their own proprietary installer. And, all, it, asks, all, and it asks to install these other things while you unzip the, their drivers. Really? Yeah. Because I've used Driver's Guide fairly heavily in the past. I haven't used it in a while, but that's just crazy. Yeah. And that was the place to go to get the, the drivers if you needed them for that other OS. So. Yeah. I, I know about five years ago it was awesome. You could get anything from there. You didn't have to sign up for it. And then... For and then there's a while they they're making you sign up and now they're bundling all these other crap in with it and I mean I understand sites there's administrative fees yeah and I don't know lately I've been finding 
because you know it's not that my need for drivers is lessened, but I've been able to go to the manufacturer's websites actually though and get them. Yeah, I generally go there. I've been able to go to Dell's website or HP's website, look up the model number, and bam, they've got the drivers right there. So yeah, and that's when it when it's a uh, an OEM machine, then or, or whatever you want to call it, you know, manufactured computer. Then I always do that also because you, that you know they're and you legit. know yeah because you know it's going to work with that hardware too it's exactly not. but it's when, if you get a, a modem from a custom machine that you have to install the modem from and this was five years ago but <laughs> you have a modem you have to install the drivers for right. and it doesn't have a manufacturer's ID on there at all you have to like search the chip number I've done that <laughs> <laughs> I, I have done yeah. that so yeah so then that, that's when you get into yeah. Thing. But thank God you don't have to do it with Linux. That's right. It's all right there, baby. Yeah. On to our next story. Researchers at Google have proposed a fix to the SSL dilemma. Did you even know there was an SSL dilemma? I heard something about it. I, I was aware of the same problem or not. I was aware of an SSL dilemma because we had talked about this SSL, <laughs> SSL dilemma before. Google researchers Adam Langley and Ben Laurie have proposed a new method for ensuring the trustworthiness of the public key infrastructure, oh, underpinning yeah. HTTPS. Yeah, yeah, yeah now they're coming yeah. back to it. Yeah. Their idea is based on a public list of all certificates ever issued by certificate authorities. The two problems with how the current system works are, first, if an attacker can compromise any of the more than 100 certificate authorities and acquire a certificate as Amazon.com, and users would not be able to tell the fraudulent site from the real one. Second, the way the system currently works, Amazon would not be able to detect the fraud either. Langley, yeah. Langley and Lori believe that a public list would mitigate both problems. Whenever a website offered up a certificate, the browser would check the supplied certificate against one of these public lists. If the browser did not find the certificate on any of the lists, the site would be treated as untrusted. Companies would then be able to check these lists regularly to locate any fraudulent certificates, which means that even if a criminal was able to obtain a fake certificate, they could not use it effectively. Merkle signature trees would be used to maintain the integrity of the lists. The proposals might not be implemented, and if it is, no one knows what sort of time scale it would be on. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty big change. So it, take a, a while. Yeah, it's a huge change. But how would but that... There's also other alternatives being proposed, like Firefox's extension convergence. This is the one we talked about, that convergence thing, which is being pursued by security expert Moxie Marlinspike. Moxie Marlin. But my question is, what is the problem with SSL again? The is it that well because there was they, because one of them was compromised. One of the one of the. I know, but with the and, comp- and the and they're being uh, compromised, some, are they getting the actual search? Yeah, yeah, yeah. From some, there, some, or are they some place in Iran was able to it? get no. Some place they were getting certs. So it was some place in Iran. I, the Iranian government says it wasn't us. It was somebody just <laughs> yeah. But you have in Iran, the internet's so locked down that yeah, some little Joe Blow went out and did it. No, it was the Iranian government, and they they actually obtained certificates for eBay and. Things like that, and so that those they could spoof those those sites could then be spoofed with HTTPS, and your browser wouldn't be able to tell because it had a certificate that was legit. Hmm. So, but then how would this if they have the cert, the legit cert, then how? Because would, they compromised the certifier. So they replaced the the cert that's on the certifier. No, they obtained a new cert from the certifier that says this site is eBay.com yeah. or whatever. 
Because I'm sure eBay has multiple the... certs. Oh, so what? No, but they they would have to add another cert in for eBay. Right. They got a new cert. They got a new cert added into the the current uh, certifier because they com- because they compromised that certifier. So yeah. when they obtained okay. the cert from that certifier fraudulently, it it just dropped right into that certifier's database. No, that's what that's my question is. If they obtain it, then there's no way to tell if they have if you know there even another list wouldn't be able to tell you. But what not, what, an, what an open list would do would then eBay on a regular basis would have a crawler that crawled the lists. And then it would say, what? That's not one of our server addresses. That cert's not legitimate. Oh, so it's on the the certified to go out and check on it. The like Currently, no. Currently, nobody person. can go check on it. Right. But if in this new system, it would be the responsibility would be on the certified group. So like Correct. To crawl the list regularly and make sure that nobody had it obtained. I mean, it's in your own best interest to do that. Yeah. So. Yeah. And ideally, if you have your own web crawler, you could do it yourself. Yeah. But so Google can do it. Yeah. Oh, and eBay can do it. And Amazon can do it. Yeah. I mean, any anybody who's big enough to. I wouldn't be, be able to pay, do it. Yeah, you're not paying thousands of dollars for a freaking cert either. Right. <laughs> I, I'm personally using self-generated certs <laughs> for my HTTPS stuff. So. Yeah. And on to the next article: Android's revenge on Apple's iPhone and iPad. Ooh. Could Apple be regretting its worldwide war on Android? A German court issued a preliminary injunction on Motorola's behalf that prevents European sales of all Apple's 3G-enabled devices. Whoa. Android Power, Motorola Mobility, soon to be a part of Google, used a patent to thwart the competition. (laughs) Apple has been using design and software patents in order to attack Android worldwide, so I don't think this could have happened to a nicer company. (laughs) Right. Regrettably, the patent being used, method for performing a countdown function during a mobile-originated transfer for a packet radio system, is an excellent example of brain-dead software patents. (laughs) It is almost as bad as Apple trying to block anybody from creating a rectangular phone or tablet as it would infringe on their unique design. Jeez. They actually own that patent. No way. Yeah. That's, That's any device. I mean, if it's not round, yeah, then yeah. it's that. Come on. The thing is, like this, the thing, like things like this, sadly, are not unusual, but equate to a little more than intellectual property IP blackmail. Just check out the U.S. patent number 6,359,898 and its European Union equivalent EP1010336B1. And then I think my copy and paste was crappy because now there's a question mark, which I don't believe is actually in the patent number. Ruh-roh. And then 2003-03-19, which I'm assuming is the date that that was applied for. So yeah. the, the first part is the, is the patent number. You know, my first thought on this is Google's really getting into that. They're going to be doing the same thing. But that's really the only way to stop. Right. Apple from doing this against them. Exactly. You got to get a bigger hammer. And, and, it, and that was the whole purpose yeah. of Google buying out Motorola Mobility. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll talk about that a little bit at the end too, so. All right, go ahead. At the end of the show or at the end of your article? At the end of this article. Okay. They basically describe performing a countdown over a 3G connection. You know, like 10 seconds to complete your download, 3 2 1 <laughs> download complete. That's obviously an original idea. <laughs> right. So you say, why is a countdown mechanism so essential that a court would rule that Apple would be in violation and unable to sell their products in Europe? 
Well, so does Apple, which is why they have appealed using a fair, reasonable, and non-discriminatory, which is known as a Fran defense. And then I have in brackets in my notes here, Tony, this is a link to a PDF explains what a Fran defense is. Please embed it. And then I, big long link. We'll be in the, it'll be in the show notes. So this defense's core argument basically is that this feature is not an essential component to 3G mobile telephony. I, and I also assume you all, understand that. But the German court wasn't going for it and issued the injunction anyway. <laughs> well, it's the same thing that the Apple's doing over here, so why exactly. not? Exactly. So this will go on for a while in the court system with suit and countersuit. And in the end, it will only delay the sale of Apple products in the EU. But if, another side effect is that no matter where you buy your smartphone, it's going to cost you more because these kind of court battles do not come cheap. I have a suggestion to all those patent mongers and trolls. Hey, Knock it off and just compete in the marketplace instead of the courtroom. Exactly. So just build a better freaking mousetrap, man. People are going to buy the better mousetrap. Let's stop locking shit up with silly-ass crap. So that's that's my opinion on that. Take it for what it's worth. No, I agree. No, this, is, this whole thing is going out of control and... Somebody big has to come up against it. Now, you know, Barnes Noble started that. Yeah. And now Google and you know, is And you know what? Out. Well, I don't know that Google's actually – because Motorola is doing it. Mo- Google hasn't actually bought Motorola yet. The, the oh, purchases in The purchase is in the process. And, and that's what, one thing else, too, that really pisses me off about this. is, I, And I want to take Google to task on this is they've let all these manufacturers of Android phones out there totally flounder and be at the mercy of Microsoft and sign all these Microsoft agreements because they've been gigantic pussies and not come to the defense – of these Android phone manufacturers, okay? I understand that Microsoft is going after the manufacturers because they're an easier target than to go after the actual creator of Android, which is Google, okay? But Google, come on. They're suing these manufacturers for using your product. Let's step it up here a little bit. If Google would have helped out these manufacturers when this whole Microsoft crap started happening with Android, it would all be over and done with by now. But Google totally dropped the ball on it and we're just giant pussies and not taking this fight to the to the mat so yeah anyway that again is just my opinion <laughs> and uh, on to the last story i have for today it's not really a news article but it's about a new distro that came out it's not a new distro but they had a new release and i was looking around and i found it and it's pretty good and it's get top quality open source security tools in one distro If you could have just one toolkit for network security, which one would you choose? I mean the one toolkit that had all of the functionality you needed for securing, analyzing, monitoring, and validating your network. Would it be Backtrack? Would it be Deft? Or Helix? Well, I've used two of those, and I have found a distro that I think kicks their ass. After you have checked out Network Security Toolkit, NST, I believe you will will choose it also. This live DD is DD. This live DVD is based on Fedora. NST was designed to bring you easy access to the best open source network security applications. It should run on most any x86 or x86-64 platform. The intent of this distribution is to provide network security administrators with a complete set of tools. Most of the tools in insecure.org's top 100 security tools are in this kit. An advanced web user interface is provided for system administrators navigation, automation, geolocation, and configuration 
for many of the network and security applications in the distribution. They've created a, a basically a web UI to help you use these tools. Awesome. So yeah, it's it's really nice because I have actually used Backtrack quite a bit and yeah. Deft a little bit, and uh, the using you have to understand how each tool works and be able to use each tool individually in those other distributions. What I liked about NST was this web UI, which gives you one web-based interface to use these tools. It was really nice. That is awesome. And some of the tools that it comes with, and I have a long list in my show notes that will be on the website, but I'm only going to mention a couple. It comes with AirCrack NG. It comes with AirSnort. It comes with Bandwidth D, which tracks network uses and builds HTML and graphs. Then it comes with CheckDNS, DNS Sniff, EtherApe, Greenbone Security Assistant, which is a web-based interface to the Open Vulnerability Assessment Scanner. So it makes using that tool much easier because if any, you've ever even looked at that tool, it's a nightmare. <laughs> and then it also comes with Kismet and Wireshark. Installing NST is as simple and easy as any today. After downloading the DVD image, burn it out to a disk, then pop it in and boot up. You can choose to either boot into a console or a graphical mode. I recommend the graphical mode, even though it is Genome 3. If your hardware will not support Genome 3, you can opt to fall back on Classic Genome. After boot up, you will see the default live installer. Enter the password NST2003 and let the desktop load. Once the desktop is fully loaded, you can either take it for a test drive or jump right into the install. In order to install it, you have to go to Applications, System Tools, Install NST to Hard Drive. Way to make it easy. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> if you have installed any Linux distribution before, you will find no surprises here. When the installation is complete or the live version is up and running, you can start experimenting with the tools. There are hundreds of available tools here to help you monitor, secure, analyze, and do practically anything else on your network. Yeah, I thought that it was awesome. I, th I didn't get to play with it for very long. I played for, with it for a couple of minutes, and I thought it was a really new. I thought it was... And I have—I actually had a laptop that had Backtrack installed on it. I was installing Backtrack before Backtrack had an installer, when you just had to basically DD it to your hard drive, and really? there were no updates, and it was a mess. But so I've used Backtrack a lot, and I really liked it. But I'm telling you, I—I I like this NST a lot better. Yeah, this sounds awesome. There's a lot of the tools I heard of, some I haven't heard of, and uh, it's this looks like a great system. Yeah, I definitely want to do it. This this would be awesome to run as a VM. In your, you know, in your existing network, or just throw another machine on the network. Sure. Uh, yeah. Are you going to put that in uh, at where you work? Uh, stuff at, I, I plan on putting it in at one client's because I have a extra machine that I can use as a server for it. Not every client has something that I can just throw something on. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, I've got a client where I'm going to install this. I think and just check it out pretty hard. Sweet. So I've got a couple articles this week. Uh, one is a hot article. I've heard three different podcasts talking about it this week, and it's the Carrier IQ thing. Uh, if you haven't heard about it, it's Carrier IQ is a company that has software on just about every phone, smartphone out there. Every Android phone. Android, Mac, um, BlackBerry. They have is Carrier IQs on all of them. Now, Mac has said, oh, wait a minute, we're going to take it off on the next well, release. No, 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 on on iPhones, and if you go and read the the actual website, it says this there, too, on it's, the one that exposed it. It's like on iPhones, thing. it's turned off. It's not turned on. If you turn on uh, debugging, then it comes on. Okay. But if, if, if you're just using the phone normally, it's turned off. 
Yeah. So basically what we're getting at is Carrier IQ has this program on there that allows carriers to figure out what went wrong on your phone and try to fix it. The problem with that is it has the, the capability to record every single thing you do on your phone and then report it back in a log. And there's been some debate on how much that it actually does this and how much it doesn't. One person I heard, they were saying that it just records what you type into the search bar. Right. Well, Somebody else says it just records what you punch numbers in on your phone. Well, it depends. Carrier IQ actually has said that it, re it records every keystroke. But the Carrier IQ log itself is not plain text and not readily available by to, to even if you have your phone rooted. And it's not plain text. The problem was they found a plain text log that also had every keystroke captured on the phone. And... Uh, Carrier IQ said that that was a modification that HTC made. HTC did that? Yes. not It was not part of the original Carrier IQ program. So it all depends on the smartphone you're using, too, and what modifications they have made to it. Yeah. So a lot of the people, one of the podcasts the, on the Twit network, I think it was Twit, they were talking about it. And it made it sound, at first made it sound like it was all Android, and Android's horrible, and, and they were saying... But then they went on to say that this is only on carriers. The carriers are putting this on the phone, Correct. not Android. Correct. It's not part of Android. It's an application that the carriers are adding. Because, like, uh, the one website, it, which is actually a university that does it, they tested, like, 3,557 phones or something like that from worldwide vendors. Holy cow. And they only found it on phones that were distributed in the U.S., Canada, and Puerto Rico. And they only found it on 42 phones. Oh, wow. So, so, yeah, it's a lot smaller of a market than uh, what it was first reported exactly. to be. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so the one carrier in the U.S. that is not using it is T-Mobile. That's what I heard. Although with uh, the pending buyout, or that's actually been... Yeah, yeah, that's never going to... AT&T is never going to be allowed to buy T-Mobile. So Yeah. All you T-Mobile people out there that were waiting for it to happen, forget about it. Forget about it. <laughs> um. Yeah, so that that sounds uh, interesting. The, although it looks like the the two class action lawsuits are still going on, or or did you hear anything? different? I have not that? heard about any class action lawsuits. So this is yeah, that's why I, on RS Technica they have an article talking about that, and uh, it's uh, it's in the show notes. So check it out. <laughs> also, the SFLC asked the Congress. Oh, I thought I was going to get that right, and apparently not. The, the Software Freedom Law Center has filed a request with the U.S. Library of Congress for a DMCA exception that would allow users to freely decide what software they can install and uninstall on their devices they own. So this is the DMCA exception is um, something that I did not look up for some reason. Um, I mean, I, I looked up some information on it, but basically, it goes back to the the UEIF or UF, e, UEFI secure boot set, uh, setup, and so they're trying to say, wait a minute, you know, we got to have this exception to allow people to install what they want. We can't just block out all of these devices from people installing programs. So this is a this looks like a good thing. Um, yeah, anything that's going to shut that. UEFI shit down um, for, or at least make, give it give it an off give the end user an off switch for it. Yeah, come on. I mean, I bought the hardware. I should be able to do what I want with the hardware. So, go get them. Software Freedom Law Center. 
Yeah, let's go for it. Awesome. Uh, Arduino 1.0 re is re released. A long time coming. This release brings a small but important change to the to clean up the Arduino environment and language. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Adding lots of features and of additional. What? We get halfway through the show. And my my brain just melts down. <laughs> You're only good for 45 minutes. <laughs> Apparently, maybe I need a second coffee. Um, basically, I was telling you uh, one of our first shows. We were talking about little hardware devices that were like open hardware and right. And I had said that there wasn't a Ubuntu or a, a Linux um, development software for Arduino, and but they released 1.0. Uh, apparently, the people I was talking to didn't know about it. <laughs> so, yeah, because uh, well, they they, said they only released it on eleven thirty, so it wasn't yeah that long ago. ago. It was like two weeks ago. Yeah, so that's uh, that looks exciting because uh, you know a lot of hackers are going to be wanting to use these little devices. You know, oh and yeah, now they can use Linux with a a stable release for their development for that. So it looks exciting. And then also we have the Gnome Shell extensions. They have a website that's opened up or launched. This actually launched uh, before last week's show, and I forgot to talk about it. Didn't get in my notes, and it just skipped my mind. Uh, it only works in Firefox presently. So it's... It, uh, the, the website only works in Firefox? That's what it says. I don't, I don't know what the deal with that is. Uh, and perhaps in the last week they've fixed it. I mean, it comes up in uh, in Chrome, but I, apparently there's some uh, some parts of it that doesn't work, and I don't I don't know why uh, that's saying that. But check it out, so you can uh, get I'm there right now. And it's got it's an HTTPS website for those of you that are interested in it. At least they have an HTTPS version running because that's where I went. It took me that to that one, the link I clicked. And I don't know. It looks like it's, I mean, I can click on stuff and it opens. And I do get a warning that says you do not appear to have an up-to-date version of Genome 3. So you won't be able to install these extensions because uh, I'm currently running LXDE <laughs> as my desktop. So, yeah, so they're warning me that it, this site's really useless for me. But, yeah. Yeah, I get that same... Uh Morning too, because I'm using uh, Unity. But it's got to be working, because if it wasn't working, you wouldn't get that warning. Right. Well, yeah. maybe, I wonder if it's like the installer part, that you click and install. Uh, oh. That I, only works in Firefox. I don't know. But in Chrome, the, the website obviously comes up and is working, so. Yeah, well, people should just use standards. I agree. Even even if it's HTML5, that isn't like a, an actual standard yet. Yeah, it's close enough. But it, yeah, it's close enough. And there's browsers out there that support it. Every browser supports it. Every major browser currently supports HTML5. Their latest features. Including, oh, I shudder to say it, IE. But not 8. You have to get 9, right? No, 8 supports it. Oh, does it now? Yep. Okay. Uh, yeah, so that's my uh, articles for the week. We, I worked the entire week on setting up a, a new laptop for us. Uh I'm that's that's hopefully doing this recording as we speak, and yeah, it we looks, won't have to do the show a second time. It looks like it hasn't, hasn't crashed yet, so <laughs> I think we're safe. 
Um, but I'm having a video problem on it, and I'm having a hard time getting an xorg.com file created because the the problem with the video is it's a Dell C810, and the monitor on it isn't being recognized by X. So it just throws out some random, uh, not random. I guess, Even if you drop it down to like the VESA, VESA won't. Yeah, no, it, it's, I have to put in a, a kernel mod to, or kernel, uh, yeah, mod. No, what is it called? A kernel. Module. No, it's, uh, at boot, like in grub, you have to type in no mode set. What oh, yeah, yeah, kernel, yeah. Okay. Um, whatever. And, and, you know, it's a kernel uh, option. Yes. And then, and then it, you get X running. It's fine. Now, otherwise, the screen just goes white. You can make that permanent, you know, so you don't have to stop the boot process every time. I did do that. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, figured, I found the file for for uh, Grub two, and go in and the defaults and say now put this on every kernel. Uh, so that's doing it now. But currently, so it, we got a ten twenty four by seven sixty eight screen, which I'm happy to live with that, except for this laptop, puts it. It does not stretch the whole screen to 1024, 768. It just puts whatever pixels are 1024 in the middle. And then, so it's only using like half the screen. Yeah, so not, not even half. We have a 1024 by 768 little square in the center, in the center. of this monitor, right, which, so which it, I find rather amusing because Tony's the one that has to use it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a 15-inch monitor on this laptop. Which I'm actually looking at about a 12-inch monitor. No, it's not even 12 inches, Tony. Inch, it's like yeah, inch. it's like eight. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's the screen of a, a of a tablet on that thing. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I got to use this thing because it's awesome. It has this huge screen, and look what I'm looking at. <laughs> so if anybody has, it's like it's like trying to edit. It's trying to to record and edit the podcast on your cell phone. <laughs> exactly. So. Uh, Email me and tell me what I can do to get one created. I've tried a couple different uh, um, commands. You know, there's a uh, crap. I I'll put them in the show notes or something. I yeah. Because it or you know I've got them on the what. Let me see if I can open up this laptop and check it out. It's recording now, so I hope it doesn't crash the recording while I do this. So Xrander has. An option where you can type it in, and it will um, it'll give you the mode line that you can stick in. But I don't know where to put that in in the XORG file. And the mode line tells you all the specs on right. the, on the monitor. I think you just put it in the near the beginning of the XORG.com file, and you'll be fine. Okay, and then you can do like X XORG space um, dash dash configure. And that will actually create an XORG file, but then it doesn't put in the right drivers. Or and then when I try to use that file, the X just crashes. So I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Hmm. Uh, and I've edited XORG files in the past, and they've worked great. But for on this, yeah, because I've I'm done that too. Wrong. Like where I had problems with with getting a good XORG.com file, I would do things like throw a Nopic CD in. Yeah. Where Xorg worked perfectly, and then just copy out that their Xorg.com file, you know, to like a thumb drive, and then boot back into the other system and copy the, and paste that into the other system, and then whammo bammo. Maybe I should everything's go back, all good. Maybe I should go back older because I tried a uh, Ubuntu 9.10 disk. Maybe I need to go back to like Ubuntu six. 
<laughs> or whatever when they started their live CDs uh-huh. or a non-pick CD and maybe get the Xorg conf off of that. But the only the only thing I'm worried about is, you know, Xorg has changed their standards over the years. Right, right. So So if I throw an old file in there, is that Xorg old xorg.com file actually going to work? Right. Anyway, if you have any thoughts, uh email me tony at smlr.us uh or shows or show, I'm sorry, it's show at smlr.us, um, and they'll come to us. Uh, we currently have no f- user feedback for the week, so apparently people like to listen to us, but they don't like to talk to us. <laughs> uh, that's fine. I'm just happy people are downloading and listening. Yep. Keep it up. So, Matt, you or, said... Or we'll come to your house and kill your puppies. Tony, edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> And Matt, you said you looked at the stats this morning? I, I did. And they're looking pretty good, actually. We have a total downloads of 1,584 with 413 in December alone. So, yeah, it's kind of our, our last show, which was uh, 008, we had 59 MP3 downloads and 8 OG. So, for some reason, Freedom Haters are really beating the freedom lovers. So. Oh, no. Freedom haters. <laughs> anyway, our music for this week is going to be by Brad Sucks. And and I, that, it's not because he sucks. That's not. It's, no. That's his real name. Right. He's actually. <laughs> really uh, we, I love his music. And. Uh, Tony hopes I'm you will, to look too. It up. I didn't. I haven't decided on which song we're going to play, but it's by him. So check it out. It'll be in the show notes. All right. Check out the show notes and it'll be there. All right. That's all I have, Tony. Sounds good. Have a good week. See y'all. You've been listening to the Sunday Morning Linux Review. This has been Episode 9 for the week of December 11th, 2011. Featured Music of the Week.
You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binref.com. All binref projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Share Alike, 3.0 license.